This is Kyle Cord, and you're listening to Austin, Felix, and Matt on the Debbie Debate. Welcome to the Debbie Debate. All right, boys, are we ready to debate? Austin, you tweeted something, girl. You tweeted your running back right now. Explain yourself. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand. <laughs> you jumped up and... Austin Mace, who is going to be that guy. And for me, Bijan Robinson is still going to be that guy. Back to the ground with Robinson, who spins and then tries to bounce it. A stiff arm, another one as he rides it, keeps his balance. They're going to say he stepped out, but I'm... I'm feeling sharp. I know you didn't think that we would get through this episode without mentioning the name one Zach F. Wilson. Screen or draw. Oh, Wilson is going to uncork for the end zone. And he drops it in beautifully. And it is his roommate, Dax Milne, on the touchdown. That's Matt Brody. G. Scott Jr. Obviously, I whacked poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here. And this time it's Fields on the carry. Watch out! Justin Fields! Hello, Columbus! 51 yards! Vernon, are you ready to go head-to-head with me? I am. Gotta get my popcorn out here. Hold on. Gotta continue. I got got Kyle McCord is going to end up winning the job. He's going to be rated higher. Um, well, I'm not nearly as passionate about what I'm about to talk about. Uh, our apologies for Kirk Street and Atlanta. Time will get him rescheduled soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin A. I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. It's 9.30 Eastern time. The time zone that's your choice. That means it's time for the day. Debate brought to you by campuscan.com. Matt Bruni is off making illegal payments to Ohio State recruits. Austin Nace is here, and so is Chris Moxley. And I'm sharp and overturned very much tonight. So, will Tank Bigsby declare for the NFL draft in 2023 or 2024? How has the 2022 NFL draft affected C2C rankings? And which wide receivers are guaranteed to be future first round NFL draft picks? But we start with. It's the game show that everyone in America is playing. Will Austin weigh it? It's the game show where we discuss the uncomfortable intersection of sports, politics, and culture. And that's the question that America is asking. Will Austin weigh in? On today's show, Jordan, Addison, and NIL, good or bad for college football? We have uh, our first contestant, Chris Moxley. He's from South Carolina. He likes Hawaiian shirts and IPAs. Chris Moxley, how you doing tonight? Oh, I'm just excited to be here and be able to be a contestant. Happy to have you. Happy to have you. Chris Moxley, what are your thoughts on NIL and whether or not Jordan Addison entering the transfer portal is good for college football? It's good for the players to be able to get the bag. I'm not sure that it's a sustainable uh, 
institution long term. I have a lot of questions about what it looks like a year from now, whether or not we have issues with, uh, you know, players that are signing deals that kind of cross the line, what the NCAA is going to do about regulation. But it is nice to see Jordan Addison have that offer $5 billion on the table, knowing that he's probably going to get more. So I'm happy for him. Good for him. Chris Moxley, what are are your thoughts about the comments out there that it's bad, it's bad for college football, for Jordan Addison to have been in negotiations with a collective before he entered the transfer portal from Pittsburgh and seems to be going to USC to play with Caleb Williams. We cover college football. We spend a lot of time doing so. The The fact that this is a topic for tonight's show makes me excited. I love the drama of it. I love the idea behind it. I love that we can talk about it as a topic on on the show. So I'm all for it. I do think that you might have some Salty Pit fans out there, though. I have seen their comments online. They are not happy, despite this happening all around the country. That's Chris Moxley, everybody. All right, Chris. It's time to ask you the question that America's been asking, been waiting to ask. Will Austin weigh in? I think so. I think he's going to do it. I think we're going to get a great response. One that talks about the intersection of politics, sports, the understanding of maybe how, uh, you know, racial relations play in here. I think we're going to get a really great answer from Austin. little race talk from Austin. All right, we're going to find out right now. Austin Nace, what are your thoughts on Jordan entering the transfer portal, being recruited into the transfer portal by USC? It's a really good question. I'm, I'm glad that uh, that you've brought me on to answer this. Um, honestly, I just think at this point it is what it is. Like, you know, we've kind of let this cat out of the bag now. Like, we can't put it back in. You know, it's like it, 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 you're trying to put smoke back in, you know, if like, the fire. It just doesn't work that way. Um, you know, so, you know, whatever happens, happens. Is it good for college football? Who really knows? And that's all I can really say about it. I mean, I, I think I need more information to give a better answer. I, I just don't know. I'm turning to the judges. Judges? Oh, I'm sorry, Austin. You did not weigh in except for cliches and does not count. I'm sorry, Chris Moxley. Austin Nace did not weigh in. Thank you for playing. Thank you for playing. Will Austin weigh in? And now I get the honor of saying for the second time this week that Lincoln Riley is a snake. That's all I have to say. I mean, tell us how you really feel. I mean, if you snake, if you need to. Um, all right, got a character. This, this is my thoughts about Jordan at Austin. You said on Twitter that this is the fact that it's already being reported that he's going to USC before even entering the transfer portal is inappropriate as hell. It's evidence of tra- uh, of tampering. To be sure, there is a tampering rule in the NCAA bylaws. I think it's 13113. Very broad rule. However, 
The difference between college football or college athletics in general and the NFL, Major League Baseball, professional sports, is that the rules in those leagues are collectively bargained between the athletes and the owners, ownership groups. Here, that has not happened. And it can't happen because they would because the NCAA would have to negotiate with a union, but they don't they can't have a union since they aren't employees. It's interesting to see that the NCAA is reportedly, according to On3 earlier this week, is supposed to be coming out with guidelines because the collective collectives have run amok and are allegedly violating the rules. If you read the NIL name, image, and likeness interim policy that was implemented in June 30th of last year at the pressure of, of all of these states entering their own NIL uh, laws or executive orders, essentially what that interim policy says is that pay-for-play is not allowed unless it is allowed by state law. And when you look at these state laws that have passed NIL legislation, they broadly say that no school or institution regulating athletics can issue a rule that um, inhibits an athlete's right to use their own name, image, or likeness. In other words, yes, you can pay to play is, is, under my interpretation, legal under state law. And under my interpretation, it is pay to play is legal under the guidance given the interim the interim NIL policy from the from the from the from the, from the NCAA so yes i think that tampering is now a myth because if you read the interim policy it's essentially defers to state law and state law says yep tampering is legal if you want to have rules go ahead and have rules but they should be there should be voted on or negotiated with the athletes. Jordan Addison didn't vote on any rule that said that he couldn't be recruited out of Pittsburgh. There's no organization that negotiated on his behalf uh, to implement that rule. So you have on the one side, the NFL, the NFL in the NFLPA negotiated the CBA and they implemented those rules. And so three, you can't go to the NFL unless you're three years removed from high school. College athletes not represented in those negotiations. You got the NCAA that's got all these rules. College athletes not represented in creating those rules. So I have very little respect for for those rules, given whose interests were represented in drafting them. That's all I'm going to say. I don't. I don't disagree with anything you said, Felix, and I think that I. I'm not going – I'm not – I've been trying to avoid actually commenting on this because I'm obviously a Pitt fan, lifelong Pitt fan, went to school there. Um, so I've been trying to kind of not really comment too much on the actual – this particular situation itself. But I think the piece that you're missing here, uh, because you're not wrong with anything you said, but I think you're you're conflating tampering with the transfer portal rules, which just say you can't – talk to somebody either directly or indirectly before they enter the transfer portal. I think you're, you're missing that piece where, where you're saying it's okay. Pay for play is okay. If I would interpret or read any of these, these statutes or or rules or anything, pay for play is not the same as just simply waiting till this guy is in the portal and then offering him this money. I don't have any problem 
with players getting as much money as they can. Although I think the figures of 20, 30 million I've seen thrown out are gross and I think incorrect. But you can't talk to these guys either through a collective, through a coaching staff, through their high school coach, through their uncle, through their family, through you know, an old teammate of theirs, like the the rule in place is not, I, I think is still distinct from pay to play and that you just can't do that. And so that's where I think, like we talked about this in the discord yesterday, every player in college football under what's going on now should enter the transfer portal yesterday, right before the, the deadline hits, wait to see the biggest offer they can get and then go somewhere else. This is not what NIL was supposed to do. It's not supposed to be an inducement. It's supposed to be a reward for play it's supposed to be you're in a dr pepper commercial you're in a burger king commercial you're wearing beats headphones you're wearing nike cleats it's not supposed to be a bunch of individuals who own an oil rig are paying you 10 million dollars a year to sit on the bench that's not what it's supposed to be that's my problem with nil it's not that these kids are making money that that's the issue the so, so I'm, this is, I'm, hold on hold on chris let me jump yeah, in here, go because i want to respond to austin's comment that Tampering isn't the same thing as NIL. I'm going to read verbatim. No, tampering California. is not the same as pay to play. They're different pay, concepts. Pay to That's play. The... Fine, fine. And what I'm saying is, is that quote unquote tampering would be um, per, under the states under states law state laws that have passed NIL legislation. I'm going to read California's uh, section sixty-seven five four fifty-six. A sub one. I'm just gonna read it verbatim. This is their this is there there's like four different subsections, but if you read the first subsection, it basically tells you what other states have said. And it, you get the gist of it. A post-secondary educational institution shall not uphold any rule, any rule, requirement, standard, or other limitation, or other limitation that prevents a student athlete of that institution participating in intercollegiate intercollegiate athletics from earning compensation as a result of the use of the student's name, image, or likeness. If you have a tampering rule and therefore the student cannot communicate with other institutions, that is a rule that limits the student's ability to use to comp to be compensated from their name, image, and likeness. And therefore, in my, if I'm a judge, I'm strike that rule. Is, I'm striking it right, right out the window. And I think that I think that we're going to get to a place where these collectives, wealthy donors, are going to be fighting NCAA and these state courts around the country to see if what they're doing is legal. Because it's the state law that's going to that's going to um, be the trump card here. So, I, I I still don't necessarily agree with that interpretation um, personally. That that's keeping them from there. There's literally like a hoop to jump through. This is like the gun nuts that say you can't have any sort of background check before you buy a gun because that violates the second amendment. This feels like a very similar concept to me where all he has to do is declare for the portal and you can offer him whatever the heck you want. By that logic, the May 1st deadline is illegal. There should be no deadline to enter the portal and come to a school. I could be right. That may be right. That may be right. I mean, I would like to see the May 1st deadline challenged. I mean, I, when there I read has the to statute, be some rule this, in ca- in place here. Like, what are we the doing? Statute is, <laughs> I don't necessarily disagree <laughs> with you, but I think the statute is pretty broad the way it's written. And I don't think that would be that difficult to challenge a tampering rule if tampering means that I can't negotiate with other institutions so long as I – that is a rule 
that places a limitation on the student athlete. And then California, at least California state law, which is going to apply, it's USC. So what about academic eligibility? Is academic eligibility illegal if it, if it, if, it, if it keeps a player from earning money on the field because they're a dumb dumb and don't go to class? Like I think your your interpretation of this is way too broad. This is probably like an entirely different discussion than what we anticipated in having on this show tonight. Two lawyers uh, into the minutia of the California state law on NIL, but like <laughs> I, I I think your reading is a little broad, and I think we're going to need to narrow this just a tiny bit, Chris. Let's, uh, I, yeah, Chris, go ahead. You get the final word. Yeah, I, I have two thoughts. I thought it was really interesting that when the details of Nico Imalieva's contract or NIL deal, however you want to phrase it, were released, that they were really explicit saying this is not an inducement. I think that plays like a, a big role in our interpretation of the law. And I'm sitting here as, as someone who has no, no experience in the, in the, uh, the legal system and going up with two lawyers. So I thought it was interesting that they included that in his contract. And I think that's probably pretty representative of um, trying to toe the line with paper play. The second thought I have is I think there are universities that are willing to like make a student athletes employees. Basically. I think there's a really good chunk of teams who want to do that are willing to do that and understand how much money there is in TV deals and how much, how much they're getting overall that they can afford to do this. And I, I think this is a great example of, you know, I talked about in the discord today. I think this is really close to us seeing a super league big break off basically. So there's a, there's a lot of implications about NIL. And I think the biggest one is that we're going to see college football change in the next two or three years. And it's not going to look anything like it did this year, a year ago. Let's move on here to, well, first of all, um, we we want to remind everyone about the Debbie Summit, May 22nd, 12 p.m. Eastern time to 6 p.m. Eastern time. We're going to be covering from scouting to player evaluations to rankings. I mean, you got Matt Walden, you got Noah Hills, you got myself, you got Brandon Lejeune, Matt Hicks, uh, the three of us are hosting it. So stay tuned for May 22nd, a Sunday. You ain't got nothing else to do. You ain't watching basketball. So uh, tune in. That's going to be on YouTube. And you will see additional advertising and imaging for that event as we move closer to it now that we've passed the NFL draft. Speaking of the NFL draft, uh, Chris Moxley, I feel like we, there are a lot of things that we could take away for the purposes of projecting future draft capital, future the strength of future draft class classes. Is there anything that we should take away from the draft that is as it applies to our C two C rankings? Yeah, I and this was true like a year ago, and it just kind of underscores the same idea that when league sources come out and say. We don't like this player. This position is weak, etc. David Bell is a great example of this. He was going top 12 in, in Debbie C2C drafts, goes in the third round. We knew a year ago, even before the draft even happened, that the NFL was low on David Bell. So my takeaway is don't try to outsmart the league. They have a lot more information. They have a lot more data. They have a lot more access to resources than we do. Understand that when they say they don't like a player or they don't like a position group, 
that it actually matters. And we hear the same thing with quarterbacks, and we saw what happened. I mean, there are a couple of things that I could throw in here, and Austin, you can jump in. Is One is that at wide receiver, size does not matter. It's speed that matters now. So, um, the, and I think – I think we saw this year, at least at at both wide receiver and uh, and at running back, they they resorted to athleticism. Uh, are you an elite athlete? And that's why I think we saw Isaiah Spiller fall because he had all of the production, he had the size, but he did not have the athleticism that Kenneth Walker did and Brees Hall did. And so, I mean, we're going to talk about this a little later on. I got to look at my rankings and think, all right who are the guys that are kind of getting by or are in this place because of production? Like their ranking is based more so on production than their projected athleticism. And I got to move those guys down the board in the same. And, and so, and and, so that's that running back at the wide receiver position. I mean, Xavier worthy locked in loaded for the first round. I mean, he's just, he's going to be a first round draft pick. He, because he's going to run a sub four four, and Chris Moss is shaking his head no. But I, I mean, I think I, th- I think that he is. I think that the NFL has shown two seasons in a row that that is what they want to prioritize. So um, I mean, you saw Sky Moore go as high as he did. If he's a four five seven guy, a four five five guy, I don't think he's drafted by the Chiefs where he was drafted. So um, I think we can start looking at speed and size-adjusted athleticism at those two positions. And I wonder if it's going to happen for one Anthony Richardson, who is the best size-adjusted athlete at any position in the country. Um, so, how, anyway, those how are – that- how can that be your takeaway on Anthony Richardson when we just <laughs> watched Malik Willis fall to the third round? Malik Willis, not the same thing. I've never considered Malik Willis to be that dude, that that great of a runner. I've never considered him to be the athlete that that Anthony Richardson is. But what what are your what are your takeaways, Austin? Um, the only big one that I have is I think unless you, you have to be really special to be a sub two ten running back and go with any sort of mm-hmm. decent draft capital. And I think um, the like I, I've seen the theory float around, and it's not a bad theory per se that like the fourth round running back is the new is the new second and third round running back because we don't take them in the first round. I think that's incorrect because we still didn't really see that many small backs go in round four. We saw Michael Carter do it last year and he went round four and then we saw James Cook do it this year and that's it. So you have to be, and and I think you can argue those two dudes really like one team may have liked them there. I'm not sure how special the two of them actually are. It should give you a little pause to talk about a guy. I, I mean, I think Jameer Gibbs will probably fall squarely in the special enough where it doesn't matter category. But if you're looking at a guy like Blake Corum, uh, at Michigan, I think it's going to be a really big issue for him. I think he's going to be this year's Kyron Williams. If I have him in a Debbie or C2C league, I'm probably selling him. Um, there are other guys that probably are in that weight group as well. I mean, Devin Achain, it makes me really, really leery of him, even though I think he's a pretty good player. I mean, it, the NFL is just betting on size for these guys, which is the opposite for receiver, where they don't seem to care anymore. They seem to be doubling down. I mean, Tyrion Davis-Price is not a good football player, and he went round three because he's a big guy. Um, San Fran crap in the bed in the third round two years in a row. But I think that's my biggest takeaway is like, we just really need to make sure like we all say, you know, Oh, he's 195 Now he can easily get up to two, five to 10. Like you need to be really careful about advising people on that kind of stuff, because these guys probably aren't going to gain the weight if they haven't done it first or second year. And they're probably not going to go early as a result. 
Yeah, so coming in at 200 pounds, six foot, 200 pounds, that's probably going to be really important for um, these freshman running backs. And it just so happens that this 2022 class, these freshmen, there are a lot of guys that not, not only are they 5'11", six foot, 200 pounds, we got a lot of guys who are 214, 215 pounds coming into this class. And rightfully so, we had all of those guys ranked uh, really highly in the supplemental uh, draft guide, which you can get at campusdecan.com for 20 Twenty dollars to take a look at that. Take take a look at the class of what twenty twenty five, twenty twenty five class of twenty twenty five. Look at the running backs who are going to be coming out in the class in the NFL draft class of twenty twenty five. Chris Moxley, is there anything that we should take away from? I mean, Sam Howell, very very good college player, started as a true freshman. I thought that he was going to be like the pick thirty two. Was I was hoping my lines would take a chance on him. I don't. I don't know what to take from his fall other than it can't just be that the NFL doesn't like Phil Longo skill position players. Is there, is there something else to take away from Sam Howell's fall? There are questions about Sam Howell's game um, that are legitimate questions. And I totally understand them, but he is not a fifth round player. Like I, I refuse to believe that he is a fifth round quality player. He is at worst, like a round three guy. Like he should have gotten the same range that everybody else did. I wonder if there are off fields concerns that we don't know about. Uh, that's like an idea, but I, I can, obviously I can't confirm that. I, that was the weirdest fall to me. Um, Malik Willis was not that surprising because I never thought Malik Willis was that good. So like him falling to the third round was not that like shocking to me. Sam Howell falling to round five was shocking. And if he, if it is a medical thing, then that makes more sense. It's like our, our beloved co-host map reading post in the chat. That makes a lot more sense, but dang, like he's way better than a lot of guys that went ahead of him. Billy Zappi went ahead of him. Billy Zappi is not better than Sam Howell. Felix is muted. Felix is muted. I, I appreciate his dedication to continue talking through the muteness, though. I'm not. Am I muted? Not anymore. Not right now. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. So the the thing about Sam Howe is he's was the best deep ball thrower in this class. I think that we all believe that he has mobility. He showed this last year the kind of the ability to um, add the rushing element to his game. The only thing that I could think of is that maybe the NFL didn't give a whole lot of credit. And I, quite frankly, when I'm scouting high school players, I do not give a whole lot of credit for you throwing a deep ball to, to some kid down the field. It's really the off-platform, the throws that require the ball to travel like 15 yards down the field, but not get any more than seven to eight yards off the ground. Those are the really difficult throws to make. Just about everybody can make one deep throw. I mean, you can be Dylan Gabriel makes making throws like that. And I just wonder if if Sam Howell's tape didn't put enough of those special throws. Some of the throws, quite frankly, that we see um Matt Corral make sometimes that he just has elite arm strength. I wonder if it's that. I wonder if it's if, if it's that. They just weren't buying his arm talent. I I actually I got I posted this on Twitter maybe like two or three months ago and I got roasted for it. But I don't think Sam Howell is like an elite arm he, like he's above average but he's fine like he's not like some great yeah. 
like he doesn't have great arm strength. No. And everybody everybody was like, what no. are you talking about? He's a great deep ball passer. Yeah, like exactly what you're That's saying. That's not arm strength. He, he there are a lot of rainbow balls, rainbow throws on his yeah. on his tape. Um I do think there's a lot where he, you know, he throws it like 40 yards and it's right on the money. You saw that to Deami Brown a lot two years ago. But arm, yeah, he, arm he has me. legit questions about his arm strength. Like I, I don't think that he's some perfect has like a perfect arm. I, I think that was way overblown. Arm strength to me is that you are on the right hash and you have a slot receiver to your left, and that slot receiver runs a 15 yard out and you throw it to the opposite uh sideline and that ball doesn't float. It stays between seven and eight yards off the ground and you you hit him right in the hands. That's when I see that type of throw, I'm like, okay, this per- person has the requisite arm strength to make quote unquote all of the throws at the NFL level. Um two two quick things. Our, Dylan Gabriel catching strays. I like it, but I mean <laughs> poor Dylan Gabriel. Um second, I don't necessarily think the rainbow throw thing is bad. In fact, I think depending on the deep throw, it can actually be a good thing. We've Russell Wilson is the best example of this, where he throws the best deep ball, him or Aaron Rodgers, in the NFL, because Russell Wilson can hang the ball so far up there in the air, it gives his receiver time to get there and still, you know, can beat the safety or the the corner or whoever, whatever coverage is there. So I don't want to necessarily say a rainbow ball is inherently bad. And in fact, if I'm watching a guy throw a 60-yard ball deep, it can't be, and I'm sorry, Dylan Gabriel, you're going to get it twice. Dylan Gabriel, who tries to throw it on a rope, Or or Sam Howe, who kind of lobs it in there. And I would rather have the quarterback that is rainbowing it in over the guy that's throwing it on the line because in the NFL, throwing it on a line like that will never, ever work. It will be intercepted, or you will get your wide receiver killed. Now, that's, good. that's a really good point. Um, and I think Howell has a mix of that on his tape. But you see on those rainbow throws that he underthrows his guy like more often than he really should. Like I would just wonder about deep ball placement on those type of throws, but I have, I was a Sam Howell QB one guy. So like, I don't want to disparage him after the fact, like I thought he was the best quarterback in the draft class. So what, what, what do I know that, you know, the NFL obviously knows more than me. Allegedly. You're muted again. Dedication to the muting. I love that he doesn't hear it the first time. I just, I can't stop. <laughs> and I had a great transition there. I had a great transition there. All right. Well, said, uh, but that last, last five to seven seconds this, didn't happen. Go. It's, it's because I have this pop filter on the microphone and it's touching the mute button. We know a lot at campus2canton.com. If you want to compare Sam Howell to CJ Stroud or Bryce Young or Aaron Rodgers for that matter. Um, you can go ahead and check out the metrics tool dating back to 2010 uh, to compare um, uh, college players against each other and players in the NFL. Uh, we've got now over 800 college players ranked for your campus to Canton drafts. We did some first timer leagues where the door is closed on those for right now, for right now, but we will uh, be coming back to them later in the summer. And quite frankly, we think that C2C is the future of fantasy football. We really intend to be at the, at the forefront of that evolution and helping you navigate your C2C league. So uh, me and Chris were on a call yesterday with with uh, one of our customers until about 10, 15, helping them navigate. That's the NIL package, though. So sign up for a yearly NIL package if you want to get that type of uh, access to go through your teams. 
All right, boys, we actually have some questions here, and I haven't said this in a very long time. Are we ready for the Debbie debates? Let's do it. It's already been heated. Chris Chris Moxley, throwing this one to you first. Having seen the NFL draft, should we be looking at Raheem Sanders, someone with the profile of a Raheem Sanders to command day two draft capital more than a player like Blake Horm? Sanders, 6'2", 220 pounds. He has the requisite size. I don't know that Quorum is elite at anything, and he's relatively light, even though he's going to be very productive. Are we? Should we be ranking Raheem Sanders ahead of someone like Quorum? Can I say it like neither? Like, is that an answer to this question? No, because, it's not. All right, well, I guess I would prefer the guy who actually might weigh in over 205, so Raheem Sanders. But both are, I, both are going too high in our ADP, and that is the takeaway I have from this question. This 10 players that go after them, I think six of them should be going above. Emeka Egbuka, Devin Brown, Tyler Buchner, Luther Burden, Tyler Van Dyke, Cade Klubnik, all go behind these players. I don't think either has done enough to prove that they are going to be worthy of a round two selection. Maybe Raheem Sanders, just based off his athleticism and pass catching ability, goes round three. I don't want to touch Blake Corum. Like, I, he is small. I don't think he's super athletic. No interest in him. So if I'm ranking them, I will take Sanders first. But Sanders is still going too high in our drafts. No interest. I think the question, Austin, throwing this to you, the question is, is like, what should we be emphasizing at that position? And it's, I think it's athleticism over production. And I think that Isaiah Spiller's fall just showed us that. And so let's get the bigger, more athletic guy. Shouldn't we be ranking him ahead of the smaller, more productive guy? Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's fair. I mean, Raheem Sanders' profile is going to end up looking an awful lot like Antonio Gibson, except for Raheem Sanders is actually going to run the ball like an amount where we're comfortable projecting him. <laughs> I mean, I, I think Gibson's a good running back, but like we had, we had basically no evidence that this guy was actually a running back. I think we'll have that with Raheem Sanders. They're going to end up being similar size. Sanders is what, 6'2", 221 or something like that. Um, so uh, yeah, I would rather have Sanders. I don't know what exactly I'm going to do with Quorum yet because like if you're playing in a Debbie league, I think he's a total fade. If you're in a campus can league, I think then the calculus becomes like, how productive can he be over the next couple of years sharing a backfield with Donovan Edwards and possibly others? Um, will he play two years in college? Then I get two years of production. Am I only going to get one year of production? But I think we're going to see a Blake Corum, uh, Kyron Williams esque fall for him mm-hmm. where he doesn't test. Well, he shows up, he's underweight. Um, like I, I just think that's very much in the cards for him. And I don't mean to keep picking on Blake Corum, um, but he is really like the standout guy. Although in fairness, his backfield mate, only weighs 199 as well, Donovan Edwards. Uh, so I yeah. think we get we give him another year, and he if he hasn't hit that threshold by next offseason, we're off on him. But those are really the two big names in the top group right now, besides Jameer Gibbs. Donovan Edwards, though, six foot, I believe, and Blake Quorum, like 5'8". So mm-hmm. Donovan Edwards has yeah. the frame to be 210 where, where uh, Blake Quorum doesn't. Austin, you have picked a little bit on Xavier Worthy, saying that you don't believe that he is his ranking is warranted or the hype around him is warranted. But he is a guy that's going to go run a, especially on these tracks from this NFL draft. He might run a four two. He might run a very low four three. He is locked in for the first round of the NFL draft in twenty twenty three. Yes or no? 
I think he is. That's not, I just think he's not going to end up being the number one wide receiver in this class. We see it every year. There's a guy that breaks out as a freshman and then, you know, two other guys blow up way more as sophomores. And then we're just on, you know, we're off to the races. I, that's been my stance on him, but I still think he's a good player. He should go probably back end round one, early round two in a C2C draft and probably close to that in a Debbie draft as well. I do think it should be slightly concerning for his, his, you know, overall value that they brought in Isaiah Nayor and it's rumored. I know we talked a lot about Jordan Addison going to USC earlier. It's rumored that he has a $5 million deal on the table from a, a Texas uh, mega donor or whatever. So if he goes to tech, I mean, sharing the the ball with Nayor uh, with, with Addison, with Jaleel Billingsley, with Jatavian Sanders, with Bijan Robinson, with whoever else they have in that backfield, like that's a, big ask for him to continue to produce like the shine might come off slightly because of that but i think he's pretty much locked in as long as he doesn't get hurt as a first round pick i mean i don't think mox he's still shining he mox he's still shining himself into the first round right i mean he there's nothing that he doesn't have that the nfl is looking he has the speed except like except like 20 pounds dude weighs 160 He weighs 160. Like, we can say all we want about Devonta Smith. Devonta Smith was smaller and heavier. He needs to add, like, 10 pounds. Like, you can't get a dude in the NFL who's 6'1", 160. Like, you can't have going in the first round. Like, I really question whether or not they're going to do that. And the combo 24-7 was Deshaun Jackson. I think that makes a lot of sense. I I mean, obviously, he's a little bit bigger than Deshaun Jackson uh, height-wise, but... I mean, I really question whether or not he's going to be like that first round, like the mid-teens pick, or he's going to be an early second, late first pick. So like, I would not say he's locked. That is the that is the question that I have. I don't think he's a lock. I think it's probably likely that he goes in, considering his freshman year production and the traits that he has. Like, he does have four three speed. Um, he he ran a ten five five in the hundred meter. Like he he's a legit uh, track athlete. So that's that's not a question. I just. He's really, really tiny. Like, like you can't be 160 at his size like, right now. Like, he's got to add a little bit. Well, another wide receiver who's going to be close to 160, probably 170-something, who I feel like we should no longer have questions about is North Carolina's Josh Downs. Not only is going, he's going to run a sub-4.5, he has a 41-inch vertical. He has a 4.12 uh, shuttle. And he's been like the most productive wide receiver uh, uh, in college. And we just saw Jahan Dotson, who's bigger, but hasn't been as productive as Downs. Is probably not as athletic as Downs. But to me, and Austin, you and I had a conversation when I was in the middle of a draft. I no longer have concerns about Josh Downs seeing the NFL again emphasize speed in this 2022 draft. Josh Downs should have plenty of it in addition to production. He will. Um, he's a lot closer to Devonta Smith than Xavier Worthy is. Like Xavier Worthy is like two or three inches taller than Josh Downs, and I believe still weighs like ten pounds less than him. So like that's the difference between the two. Like I, 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 I've come a long way around on like BMI mattering for wide receivers, but like I think Josh Downs at his height weight is fine. I Xavier Worthy is really really lanky. Like, I, I don't know. I think Josh Downs, I I projected Josh Downs in my first round of 2023. Like, I agree with you there. Like, I think that he is a first-round caliber wide receiver. I'm not there on Xavier Worthy yet. I need to see him. 
I just need to see him add a little bit of weight or make sure the NFL really likes him. Like, I need reports out of the NFL to say, like, yeah, he's a first-round guy. Josh Downs, a prime example of a player having really lifelong value for you because he's been a wide receiver one on the college side, and we're projecting him for first-round draft capital next year. That's going to carry a lot of weight with it, and a team is going to probably plug him into the slot, and he should be a team slot for the next seven or eight years. That's why C2Cs are just great. Instead of 10-year careers, you get 14-year careers or longer considering the player's uh, college career. Um, All right, Austin, Matt Corral, Sam Howell, Malik Willis, all fell in the draft. Should we be more weary of these toolsy quarterbacks that haven't necessarily shown production or consistency on the college field? Did you say Chris or Austin? Austin. Austin, I'm like, am I muted again? I thought you said Chris. That's my. I I was about to to say, why is every question going to Chris first? No, you're really lulling me into a false. Well, I mean, you put the question in the show sheet, so I threw it to you, and I'm like, you guys kept telling me that I'm muted. I'm like, did did I freeze or no? Austin, your question. Way to just give a total peek behind the curtain. This is my question. Um, Yes, and I think this is the part of the show where I, I victory lap my Malik Willis takes. No, no, I'm not really going to do that. Um, but, yeah, I think we need to be a little concerned. Like, I, I think the drafting a guy based on tools is, is you know, a good thing. Obviously, we're not drafting – we just talked about drafting receivers that are fast and running backs that are big. Like, that, those are toolsy things. But I think a quarterback, it matters a ton less. I think it's really not that difficult to sit down and watch a guy like Malik Willis – who clearly hasn't put it all together yet. I mean, he read half the field at most in college. He had zero pocket presence. He was inaccurate, but he had a cannon and he was fast. So that was what people latched on to. I think we need to be really careful about just latching onto these guys that are really, really athletic. I think Anthony Richardson does fall in that category. He's super the- athletic. He doesn't even count. When you're that good, when you're that good of an athlete, this conversation does not apply. To you. It's these medium athletes like Malik Willis. Anthony Richardson is a different – he's built different, dude. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I, uh, Will Levis is going to be the big one this year. I will fight with everybody over Will, Will Levis. He was extremely poor last year. Um, I know there are a handful of throws that make it look really impressive. He can put a lot of zip on the ball and really fire the ball in here. But he, again, is not very accurate. Uh, doesn't necessarily work through progressions at a high level. Um, really struggles with intermediate accuracy. Like these are all things that I think are really going to hurt him. And he's not the runner Malik Willis was. So he can't, he doesn't even have the Trump card no. where, you know, I, I, he can do this early and we can learn something. So th- there are a couple guys in this class that I think we need to be very, very wary of. Jaron Hall. Jaron Hall's a big one. Jaron Hall's also 50. Yeah. Uh, Will Levis to me is a day three draft pick. Um, just like a, a, a definitely a, a day a day three guy, in my opinion. Um, Chris Moxley, considering what we just saw in the NFL draft and the way that NIL is moving, I think that you could see players who are not projected for day one draft capital stay with their colleges or transfer for their senior years, getting a big bag, but and not jumping to the NFL because you. 
can you could potentially make more money in college than you can as an NFL, a second round or third round draft pick. Do you think that we see a player like Blake Horn stay until his senior year or even like Tank Bigsby stay until 2024 because he can get the bag in college? So I, I think it's possible. It is the, the like basic response I'll give. There were rumors that Traylon Burks was going to do this, that they had put together an NIL package at Arkansas to keep him and that he would delay, um, you know, for a year and, and come out as a senior. He obviously didn't do that. And I think part of it, and you can't get rid of this part is that you can be injured your senior year and forego like any sort of payday that you get in the NFL. And being in the NFL and like being part of that players association, like there's a lot of benefits associated with that. And I don't necessarily think that if you're someone who is draft eligible and you think you're going to go on day two, that you're, that you are staying and foregoing like a couple hundred thousand dollars. And I think that the smart move is to go and declare. The real question is if you're a guy who's going to be on day three or borderline undraftable, do you go? And I think the answer is probably no. And I think that's who it'll impact. I disagree with you because I think we're only going to see these college salaries for lack of a better term go up. So if tank Bigsby, who's probably not going to be a first round draft pick, if he, I mean, Jordan Addison got what is getting allegedly 3 million between three and 5 million from, um, from Texas or USC, what would tank Bigsby be worth if at the end of the 2022-2023 season, he entered the transfer portal, and now he's open for Texas, USC, Oklahoma, Alabama. I think it could be more than five than, than five million, and that would be more than, than you're going to get as a second-round draft pick. i got to see what the second-round draft pick contracts are usually worth, but it's I'm like sure 12, that that's more. It's Yeah, it's like $10 million to like, six million ish in that range um but we got to look this up for the next show because i actually want to do this comparison to see yeah what a second round draft pick is worth and yeah i do think it's really interesting though because i think there are like benefits to being in the nflpa that aren't necessarily talked about in terms of like long-term um retirement healthcare, etc that you don't get as signing like an nil deal with your university uh, so I, I don't know what the qualifications are for that, but I do think that's a consideration that I don't know if most players are taking into account because whether or not they have the the attorneys or lawyers to kind of help them navigate those decisions. But there are benefits to declaring early outside of you'll make money. I, I think like ancillary benefits with the NFLPA is like kind of a big impact. Austin, Nace, any, any last words? No, I, I got nothing else to add on that one. Um, I think running backs should just come out the earliest opportunity, though. Like some positions, you know, maybe quarterback if you only started a year. I mean, I think people um, – the fun one is is I think people thought Pete Carroll was being sour grapes about uh, Mark Sanchez when he came out. It turned out he was probably right. Like he needed to sit in, to stay there another year. Like I, I think for quarterback, it, it, staying sometimes can really, really help. But running back, get the heck out of there as soon as you possibly can. Yeah. All right, of course, check out the website, campstacan.com. We will likely be doing some ranking summits um, uh, later this summer 
And there's probably the way we did it last year is there were two parts. There was one that was open to the public, a, a section for each position that was open to the public, and then a section that was only available to our members. And so uh, you're going to want to be subscribed to the website. Prices starting at just two ninety nine for two ninety nine a month uh, for a subscription to the website. So excellent, excellent deal. Of course, check out the campus and podcast feed. We've got content dropping every single day, but that is going to be our show for tonight. Apologies, Kirk Herbstreet. We ran out of time. We'll get him rescheduled soon for Chris Moxley and Austin Nace. I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. Intercepted by Eli Apple at the 25, and Apple will go to the ground at the 32, and that's it. Ohio State National Champions for the eighth time as they defeat Oregon 42 to 20. Here's Tua stepping back, loads up, looks long, throws, end zone, touchdown, touchdown Alabama, Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama. And the Crimson Tide has once again ascended to the top of the college football mountain. Their fifth national championship in nine years. Their 17th overall. And for Watson takes a snap, rolls right, looks to the end zone. Hunter Edmond caught it! Touchdown! 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 With a second left, Watson hits Renfro! And Clemson grabs a 34-31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history. Hill, just in front of his end zone, has a man out there. It is Ranger, and he's off to the races. Nobody will catch him. Freshman. Made the adjustments in the second quarter. Dobbins again, more than 10 yards per carry. He'll add to that. Goodbye. Touchdown, Ohio State. From 52 yards.